Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, um, as Scotty said in the prayer, my my name is Terry. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you all today. We, um, and I don't know if you were here last week. Last week was awesome. (laughs) It was a great uh, Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and to do so by baptizing new people who have been raised to life in Him. It was a a beautiful thing to do. This week, we will be picking back up in our journey through the book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 13. You can go ahead and uh, turn there in your Bibles. And today, we're going to be talking about the ideas or concepts of love and light. Now, these ideas, love and light, may sound familiar to you. They're kind of a a popular, uh, they are phrases that are used in our culture uh, today, and they're usually used by people who would uh, identify themselves as spiritual, but not really religious people who sincerely seek to be about positivity, and so they want to put uh, sort of positive vibes into the universe or... Sometimes we hear the phrases love and light from people who sincerely want to wish someone well uh, who might be uh, sick or otherwise going through a difficult season in life, and they um, may be going through a hard time. And both of these uses of the phrases love and light are, again, usually genuine wishes for people. They are undoubtedly from a place of compassion. Uh, from one person to another. Yet I think if we slow down and really look more closely at what's being said, these ideas of love and light come, uh, they're, they're sort of vague. They, they don't really come with um, maybe definitions or, or really uh, substance as to what love and light actually are. Maybe there, there's some defined notion of, of maybe good energy or, or something like that. Uh, again, so people mean well, and again, I think they come from a, a heartfelt place, yet I think that uh, these wishes of love and light can really lack the power and life-sustaining content that they are intended to give. So today, uh, we'll see where God's Word can actually help us have a strong foundation from which to truly spread love and light. And in the most meaningful and life-giving and life-sustaining way. And I think we all should, or at least hopefully we, we want to do those, those sorts of things. Uh, so let's turn to see what God has to say on these subjects. Um, I, tr- I truly believe that this passage today will, will help us find real love, real light for our lives and light and love to share in the world around us. And I think the world, if we look around, could use some of that, couldn't it? Um, I could I could use some of that. Maybe you could today as well. So let's begin looking at the notion of real love. We're going to actually back up to verse seven in Romans thirteen, where we left off last uh, time we were in Romans before we got to Resurrection Sunday. Would it be okay if we stood, if you're able to stand uh, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? We want to receive this as it is, the Word of God. Romans thirteen, beginning in verse seven. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no no one anything except to love each other. 
For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We'll stop there now. You can be, you can be seated. Thank you. In that first section, you may have noticed that we read a lot about debt, right? What we, what we owe to one another. And as I was preparing for this message today, I came across the words of Pastor John Stevenson, who, who had this to say about this passage and about debt in general. Debt. It is a word that usually brings with it certain accompanying negative connotations. The American dream is to reach the point where you are debt-free, and yet there are some debts from which you can never be free. Someone who gave you help when you most needed it. Someone who sacrificed of themselves on your behalf. Someone who put themselves in the place of danger and hurt so that you might be spared. Debts like that can never be repaid. We have that kind of debt. It is a debt that cost God the life of His only begotten Son. It is a debt of love. C.S. Lewis wrote, Love is as hard as nails. Love is nails, driven through hands and feet. See, this is a different uh, perspective on love, isn't it? Than what we normally find in sort of the, the, the cultural things that we swim around in. And I think that this pastor, and C.S. Lewis per usual, has it right. And so I just ask you at the, at the outset this morning, are you, individually you, not we collectively, are you indebted to Jesus? Just think about the answer to that for yourself. I would argue that it is a debt that we owe. And of course, it's a debt that we could never repay to Jesus. After all, he paid an infinite price. We are merely finite creatures. Therefore, we could not possibly repay what he what cost him an infinite price. We are eternally and infinitely indebted to Jesus. Well then, what should our response be? What, you know, this, this passage was about owe, um, give to the person what was owed to them. Since we're in such a debt to Jesus, what sh- and, but we can't repay it, what should our response be then? Well, I would say that we should give him all that we are forever. We can't give an infinite gift back to him, but we can give him all that we are. And we can do that forever. It's as simple yet as profound as that. We owe Jesus all that we are forever. Because of his uh, gracious love toward us, we respond in grateful love to him. Again, verse 7 said, Essentially, pay everyone everything that they're owed. So I'll just, again, pause and ask, since we've already established that we owe Jesus everything that we are forever, second question, follow-up question to that for you would be, and for me would be, am I willing to give that to him? We've determined that that's what I owe him. It's the only appropriate response to Jesus. Am I willing to give it? Am I willing to give Jesus all of myself? forever. Uh, You know, this may have been mentioned, I think it was mentioned by James in our previous session with Romans, but remember Jesus 
uh, answer to the question when the Pharisees asked him about paying taxes. Right? That was mentioned here in the, the section we just read. Jesus held up a coin and said, whose image is on this? They said, Caesar's. He said, then give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. The implied statement, which I think was Jesus probably had a pregnant pause in there, uh, would have been, whose image is on you? Whose image are you made in? Therefore, render to him what is his. Um, Remember, though, that this notion of loving God has something that necessarily follows from it. Again, following up from our Tuesday nights, if you've been in here on Tuesday nights, I've really enjoyed that. Um, We'll remember what Jesus said about loving God. Matthew 22, you'll see it coming up on the screen. This is what Jesus refers to as the greatest commandment from God. They asked him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's been our focus on Tuesday nights. This is the great and first commandment. And then Jesus says, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus says we first love God, and then as a response to loving God, the outworking of our love for God, we love others. I think that's a theological context that we need to have in our minds as we work through our passage today because Jesus is essentially saying, uh, or Paul is essentially saying the same thing that Jesus said. So with that theological context in mind, let's look at verses 8 and t- through 10 again. Read it with the context in our minds about loving God first, loving people as a result. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's what Jesus just said, right? For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Notice Paul cites in here some Ten Commandments. And so they're listed expressly about how we are to treat one another. If you're following along in your weekly, there's a question there for us. How am I to treat my neighbor? The answer is I am to love them. I'm to love my neighbor. So let's take the examples that Paul listed here beginning with adultery. And I would say that this also applies to the single version known as fornication, right? Before God, they would be equally uh, sexual sin. So if I love my wife as God would have me do, I will be faithful to her. This is how God would have me love my wife. I would be faithful to my wife in my thoughts, in my deeds, and even in my motives. Not only that, but if I love other women, as Christ would have me love them, I will not lust after those women. They are not mine, right? Loving them then means honoring them and respecting whose image they are made in, right? In other words, they are not objects for me to desire. They are God's representatives upon the earth. And so I would love them well by loving them that way. Further, if they're married, not only do they belong to God, but they also belong to their husbands, right? So if I love their husbands as Jesus would have me love 
their husbands. I will not secretly desire that man's wife or create scenarios with her in my mind, right? That's not loving. The woman is precious to God. She's precious to her husband. They are not mine to objectify nor desire, right? The husband is precious to God and has been given his uh, position as husband by the Lord. Who am I to encroach upon? If I violate that position in thought, deed, or motive, then I'm in violation of God. Do you see how that works? This is why love looks very different for the follower of Jesus. It may look very different than how you have been operating in your life, but that's, that's what makes these things sinful is because they are against God. Um, you see, counter to what the culture would have you think, real love, it, this is in your weekly, real love isn't about fulfilling our own desires. That's not what love is about. In fact, real love sometimes demands that I not fulfill my desires. Rather, real love is honoring something as God intends it to be honored. That's loving someone or something. Again, in our Tuesday night mini-series on loving God with our minds, we discussed last week that all things must stem, all things in our lives, the way we view the whole world, ourselves and each other, must stem from our knowledge of who God is. And this includes our concepts of what real light and real love are. Uh, That's because God is the true source of both of those things. Uh, The same goes with the other things listed here. Let's just look look at them. The commands of do not murder and do not steal. You know, we look around in the world, at the world around us, and we are at one another's throats. Do you guys recognize that? There is so much tension in this world. We hate one another. And Jesus says that's essentially psychological murder, right? If you've hated someone like that, that's murder in our hearts. And then we hate people like that. And then we wonder why the world looks the way it does, why we lash out at other people the way that we do, right? And I would suggest that the reason we do that is because in the world, the reason the world looks like it does, us pitted one against another, is because we've lost sight of what it means to be human. We're not honoring being human as God would have us honor being human. Again, we are God's representatives on the earth. So your neighbor, that person who cut you off in traffic, that person who hates you because of your ethnicity or your political affiliation or your theology, or your fill-in-the-blank, that coworker or classmate that no one else loves, that person that you hate because of their lifestyle or their pronouns or their refusal to use your pronouns or all of the thousands of reasons that we find to hate one another these days. All these people, each and every one of us, are people that God made are people that are precious to God. So precious that Jesus thought they were worth dying for. So when we hate one another, perhaps subconsciously, we've forgotten what God loves. Right? And speaking of Jesus dying for them, consider stealing that Paul lists here. The theological root of this is that we've lost sight of the debt that Jesus paid for us. Therefore, we think um, uh, we are owed, right? 
So we steal from one another because perhaps subconsciously we think we're owed certain things. We're not owed anything. (laughs) We're not owed anything. We have a sense of entitlement because we forgot how wretched we are. Right? It's the same with coveting there. We subconsciously take Jesus' place in judgment of our neighbors for the same reason. We covet what they have. Maybe it's, that's their wife, that's their husband, their income, their family, their life, perhaps because we think that we deserve it and they don't. Right? We, 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 we've lost sight of uh, who we are. This, this Jesus' uh, um prerogative to, to say, they get that, you get that, right? We are not God. See, the truth is that there may be a way that we judge right to treat one, one another, our fellow human beings, but I want, to, I want you to see God's law for us regarding one another. Look at verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love is fulfilling is the fulfilling of the law. So let's go back up and complete our sentence at the top of your weekly. How am I to treat my neighbor? I'm to love them specifically as God would have me love them. As God would have me love them. Now you may ask, great, how exactly am I supposed to do that? Right. So we tend to think in terms of loving one another, we we think of things in our minds, like here's the, the worldly secular version, Treat one another as they want to be treated, right? You're, that's how you were raised as a kid. Treat them, treat people as they want to be treated. Or even Jesus's words, "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you." I think we think of that. And even here in Romans, we see love your neighbor as yourselves. But I want you to notice if we treat others as they want to be treated, we can run run into a problem if we take that statement by itself. What if they have an unhealthy notion of how they want to be treated? What if they want to be treated in a way that knowingly or unknowingly is actually harmful to them? Would it be loving then to treat them that way? It would not. It would not. What about the second statement? It's it's from Jesus, right? Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Well, obviously, I agree with Jesus, right? Um, but do you know that we live in a day, and in, in, in our own hearts, we can actually twist what Jesus says too or get it wrong. Again, we may ourselves have a skewed view of what it means to treat ourselves well. If we have a skewed view of what it means to treat ourselves well, if we treat others the way we want to be treated, we're going to treat others in a skewed way. right? Maybe because of scars from our past, we don't even know what it really looks like to give and receive love in a healthy way. Or sometimes we maybe subconsciously don't even want to be treated well ourselves. Maybe we don't think that we deserve to be treated well. Are these things, this is often the case. You guys ever seen these in people's lives? Seen it in your own life? Well, thankfully, there's great news that comes with understanding what is behind Jesus' statement. Sort of, again, to refer to Tuesday nights, the worldview from which Jesus is saying this. The statement that Jesus uh, made and Jesus' life itself are based on is the light of the law of God, which clarifies and even corrects how we should want people to treat us and how we should treat one another. That is, we should want people to love us as God wants us to be loved, right? 
It's a different perspective. We should want to be loved as God wants us to be loved. We should then love others as God would have us love them. Do you, do you see the difference? It's super important. If, I, if I'm saying I have my own notion of, what, of, of how I should treat myself and how I should treat you, so that's what I'm going to do versus saying, here's God's idea. Here's God's concept of love and light. And that is what I'm going to uh, take to you. And that is how I'm going to view myself. Right? It's a major, major difference uh, from the world around us. So I would, I would argue, let's follow God's prescription for how to love one another well, right? Not our own prescription. The good news is that even though God's, this is in your weekly, even though God's standard of love is higher than ours, no doubt, and it's also so much better than ours. It is so much better than ours. God's love is one that loves and cares even when it couldn't possibly be repaid. God's love is to love someone enough to not allow them be dragged away under false ideologies, but instead to bring them into the truth. God's love is a love that never leaves, never forsakes. God's love looks for the true well-being of others, even if it means difficulty for ourselves. This is God's kind of love, and this kind of love is what we owe to one another. It's not just what we should do, it's what we owe to one another. And in doing so, we fulfill the law, the Scripture says. Man, what would the world look like if, if we loved one another in these ways? I think it would look a lot different than it does now, right? I think we could agree it would look a lot different. It would be a world of humility. You think we, you know, I think if there were a little more humility in myself and in, and in us and in the world, just, just a little more humility would make a huge difference. It would be a world of looking out for others before ourselves. And notice the healthy, healthy balance that this would bring. If we were to love one another as God designed it, the world would be a place of speaking the truth. Yes, but doing so from a place of love and doing so with love. And it would be a place, a world of loving, yes, but loving according to the truth right? And not just my truth or your truth, but, but God's truth. It would be a world where we neither degrade one another nor worship one another, but we love one another as brothers and sisters. That's, I think that kind of world should be our aim. I think that's God's design for the world. And by, by extension, or I think even more foundational than the world, I think that's God's design for me. That's God's design for you. That's God's design for Reach Life Church. And that's God's design for the world. Well, uh, this is kind of living that Paul actually goes into in the next section. He's established what love is. And he then shows that real love compels us to walk in real light. And this is where things can begin to rub us the wrong way if they, if they haven't already. This section is where Paul essentially says, can we get real about how we're living? He literally says, come on, guys, you know what time it is, <laughs> right? Check it out. Look at uh, beginning in verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. Again, come on. You know what time it is. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, 
let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Again, this this is God's notion of walking in light. It is a response and a result of walking in love. This is what love looks like when walked out. You know, uh, again, Paul is saying we need to know what time it is. We need to know. He's saying that it's time to get serious about this thing, right? Paul is, is obviously writing this letter to a people who have been in a spiritual stupor. They're asleep. They're sleepwalking, right? They've been kind of coasting in their walk with Jesus. And Paul says, it's time to wake up. And, and I, by extension, I would say, Reach Life Church, it's time for us to wake up. If you're here listening online or watching online, it is time now is the time for us to wake up. It's the time to wake up from this slumber uh, that we've been in. So I'll just, again, just ask us this morning, disciple of Jesus, don't think about your neighbor, think about you individually. Have you found yourself in a place, maybe recently, where you are just going kind of through the motions? Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe die for my sins. Um, I'm, I'm just kind of, kind of cruising, kind of going through life. Have you been kind of zoned out in your walk with the Lord? Paul says it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. He, he frames, frames things here as if there was a time, kind of figuratively speaking, where it was understandable for people to be asleep, right? He, he connects this with the spiritual sleep, like the state of spiritual death that we were in before Jesus made us new. Uh, these people, Paul's Paul's talking to were in bondage to sin because they were spiritually dead, right? They they were separated from God and they lived like it. (laughs) They lived like it. But now, he says, as redeemed believers, set free from the bondage of sin and death, Paul says, sleeping should no longer be an option for you. Walking as if you're still spiritually dead should no longer be an option to you. Uh, I would say, again, church, this is not just for Paul's audience here. God has preserved this word for us today. The same is true for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, Paul's saying it's like we've kind of overslept. In fact, in the original language, that's actually what it's saying. It's, it's past time to wake up. It's time for us to leave our old ways behind. It's like we've been woken, woken up from our sleep Jesus woke us up in in our spirit. We are made new. We're alive in Jesus. And it's like we've rolled over and hit the snooze button. I mean, you're awake, kind of still in the bed. Between this awake and the sleep stage, right? So I wake up a little bit. Man, but this bed feels so cozy. I'm going to roll back over. I'm I'm awake. I'm alive. I'm hitting... I've hit the snooze button. Well, what reason did Paul tell them to wake up? Look at verses 11 and 12. 
because, he says, salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Well, what does it mean that salvation is nearer now? That sounds weird, doesn't it? It seems like a weird statement to make to people who we would say they're already saved. They've been reconciled to God by the forgiveness of their sins through the blood of Jesus, right? So what does it mean that salvation is near? Paul is talking about this already, not yet nature of our salvation. There's a, there's a progressive nature to our, our, our salvation. There's an already component, right? We have already been, again, reconciled to God. We've been made new. We have life in Jesus. But there's a not yet component because we haven't yet stopped sinning. At least I haven't. Anybody stop sinning? Right? Okay. So there's a not yet component. You know, the scriptures describe this in other places that we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. Right? We're awaiting to be with the Lord Jesus. This has been described over the years as you have been um, freed from the penalty of sin. If your faith has been placed in Jesus, he has made you new. You are currently being progressively saved from the power of sin, right? You'll never be sinless, but hopefully as you yield to the Holy Spirit's work in your life, you will sin less, right? You won't be sinless, but you will sin less. And then you will be, future tense, saved from even the presence of sin. Sin will be quarantined from us. That is, that is the future for all disciples of Jesus. And I praise God for that. I, um, I think there's a, a hymn that that, that kind of yearns for being freed from sinning, and I, I certainly desire to free, to be freed from sinning. My wife desires for me to be freed from sinning too, right? Uh, we desire for one another to be freed from sinning. Well, we will be if we're in Jesus. But Paul here is talking about this in between time, this in a, in between time. It's like an Old Testament analogy would be. We've been freed from Egypt. We're not in the promised land yet. It's just in the meantime that we're walking with Jesus. And that's when Paul is telling us, in the meantime, we need to be woken. We need to be awake and see what the Lord is doing. It's no longer night. He says, the night has passed and the day has arrived. God's calling us to live accordingly. Look at verse 12. So then, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Paul is saying there's a way to walk and a way not to walk. You used to walk in the way that you shouldn't. Stop walking that way. <laughs> Jesus has made you new. Jesus has made me new. What does he mean? I, I remember a comedian. Uh, what, what, what does Paul mean when he says the light has come, uh, the, day is, uh, the night is gone? I remember a comedian one time who said uh, that he heard in church growing up that Jesus would return like a thief in the night. And he thought to himself, in the night? That's when I do all my messing up, <laughs> you know, in the night. Paul is saying that there, there's a, a way of life that you do things that are usually done under the cover of night and in secret. Sin grows in the dark, doesn't it? Sin grows when it's not exposed. And for some reason, psychologically, we think in our minds that nighttime covers our sins. People don't, people don't see. You know, God maybe doesn't see. So Paul's using that metaphorically here. He's talking about the night. Um, remember what Jesus said in, in John 3, 19. Jesus says, and this is the judgment or verdict 
The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works are evil. So we like to hit the snooze button and live as, according to our old selves because our deeds are evil. We don't want to live in the light. So Paul goes on to list things that, again, we tend to do under the cover of darkness, things indicative of our lives before we were saved by Jesus, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Disciple of Jesus, Reach Life Church, we are called to live a different kind of life. We're supposed to look a little peculiar. Do you understand that? We're supposed to look a little different. The world may not understand why we make the moral choices that we do or, or, or live the way we do or seek to live the way that we do. Jesus has called us to live a different kind of life. We're supposed to live in light, um, lives that look like lives lived in the daylight, not in hiding in the dark. This imagery takes us back to what Paul said in Romans 12. He said, let love be genuine. Okay, so here's what genuine love looks like. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. This is love. This is real love. This is true love. Um, so Paul's saying the, the light has come. Um, so I, I just want to put a, a, a point on this, this point right here. It's loving them as God intends to be. So let me ask you a question. Do people around you need Jesus? In your mind, answer the question, yes or no. Do people around you need Jesus? And we're supposed to love them, right? So let me ask you a, a plain question then. How can we show the light and love of Jesus to others if we're still walking in the darkness ourselves? How can we do that? Our choosing to walk in darkness isn't loving God. It isn't loving to ourselves because it's harmful to us, and especially with our relationship to God. And it isn't loving others because we're misrepresenting Jesus to them by continuing to walk in the darkness. So real love for God, real love for our neighbors, and real love for ourselves causes us to, it says in verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This phrase, put on the Lord Jesus, may, may seem strange, but we can learn about it by looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Paul talks about taking off our old way of life. It's like clothes that don't fit us anymore. And putting on the Lord Jesus, our new, our new way of life. Um, again, let's, let's read Ephesians 4, 17 to 24 together. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. These are echoes of Tuesday nights, aren't they? They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their, their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have been given themselves and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you, you've heard about him and you are taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You get the picture? This is the life 
that God has for us. And I want to, again, um, return to the phrase that Paul used back in verse 11. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Paul's talking about our ultimate salvation, presence of Jesus. Whether that comes, whichever comes first, we die. We're in the presence of Jesus. How many of you know when you're going to die? We don't, right? We don't. Could be tomorrow. Could be a hundred years. So, this is our when we stand in the presence of Jesus will be when we when we die or when He returns, whichever comes first. So let me ask you a question, Church, Reach Lifers. If the return of Jesus was closer to them then, how much closer is it to us now? That's something to think about. So the message in a nutshell to us today is it's time to get serious about our walk with Jesus because the time is already getting late and the stakes are too high not to. That's the message in a nutshell. People need real love and real light, and we owe it to them to love them like Jesus would have us love them. And real life and real love only come through Jesus. And check this, church, Jesus has called us to be his ambassadors. So my charge to myself today, my charge to you today, would be to let's live and walk accordingly. Let's get to work. Let's get serious about it. Let's commit ourselves afresh to walking in light and love today. Um, there's very real victory to be had. If you, if you find in yourself some snooze button issues, echoes of your old life before Jesus, you, uh, as Jesus describes it, are sometimes behaving like a dog that returns to its vomit. It's a pretty, pretty graphic image by Jesus, but that how, that's how he views our sins. If you find some of those in you, I'm here to tell you Jesus can set you free. He really can. Uh, I've got some stories from my own life I'd be glad to share with you. I'm not perfect. Uh, I'm a work in progress, but there's real victory to be had in Jesus. So let's get together and work on that together. Now, there may be some of you watching online or maybe even here that you're a little jaded about this whole return of Jesus thing. I just want to say something to you real quick. You may have some legit questions about... um, the return of Jesus, trustworthiness of the Bible, who Jesus is, who God is even. And if that's you and you're really seeking answers, man, I'd love to get together and grab coffee and let's, let's work through some of those. There are real answers to be had. Or maybe, um, on the other hand, I, I want to ask a bold question as, love, as lovingly as I can. Um, is it possible that you actually don't want Jesus to return? If that's the case, I would uh, urge you to consider why. Again, I, I'm not in your heart, but, but, but ask the truth of your own heart. Do I want Jesus to re- If Jesus is real, do I want him to return? It could be that you don't because your conscience bears witness within you that you are not ready to meet Jesus. He is the light. And the light makes us uneasy because, again, we love the darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. And so we pull more darkness around us. Some subconsciously in our mind, we think maybe, maybe Jesus doesn't see. Um, you don't have to do that. Please don't do that. If that's you, I want to read one last Bible passage for you specifically. 
2 Peter 3, 9. This is the same paragraph where that thief in the night statement was made. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, when Jesus returns, the time for you to place your faith in him will have ended. But right now, in the meantime, he's being patient with you, not willing that you would perish, but that you would repent or turn away from following your own path and follow him. Today is the day of salvation. And again, I'd love to talk with you more if that's you. Let's grab coffee together. You really can have a clean ledger before God. You really can find real love, real light in Jesus.